How we doing, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and hopefully one day a true proletarian revolution. Well, thanks for coming back, folks. I hope everyone is doing well. Um, I am currently on my way to work, so excuse any background noise. So today we're coming at you... (coughs) Excuse me. Today we're coming at you to discuss the, uh, the dialectical view, right? So the true view of... The theory of class struggle. Now, when I say the dialectical view, what do I mean? Well, I think a lot of folks, even myself, like to use that word dialectics, dialectical, um, as quite the buzzword. Um, And so because of that, I'm sure many of you might not actually have a full comprehension of what dialectics truly means. Um, So, excuse my uh, half-witted definitions and explanations because, you know, I didn't go to school for this shit. Uh, I'm still learning just like you are. Um, If you want to check out some sources, you can check out on YouTube. Um, You can search, uh, I believe it's Ramiro Sebastian Foynez on YouTube. Um, he, he puts out some videos <clears throat> on both dialectical and historical materialism, and then I believe uh, uh, dialectics as well as the law of contradictions in individual videos. You can also check out the Marxism 101 as well as the dialectical deep dive videos from, or uh, podcast episodes from Rev Left Radio. And you can uh, hit me up for any other resources, but those are the two I can really think of off the top of my head. Um, So, dialectics, right? Dialectics is a, and I should say, dialectical is the opposite of what we might have heard, uh, which is the metaphysical. So this is kind of two ways of viewing the world. Um, These two ways really stem from philosophical uh, ideology. If you are uh, metaphysical in your analysis, you you analyze things in their isolated nature, um, disconnected from everything else. If you view something in a dialectical manner, You will view it in its whole, in all of its contradictions, and in its given social, or I guess not social, in its given relations. So for example, you can cut a tree down, and you can transport it 50, 100, 150 miles to a lab to analyze it, to discover how it is that we can better grow these trees, how it is that this tree takes in nutrients and you might be able to find out quite a bit Um, but there is a chance that there is quite a bit of information that you do not learn outright from that kind of analysis now if you were to keep the tree in its natural environment 
you would also be able to analyze how its roots react and act with the soil. You would be able to analyze how it responds to other surrounding foliage as well as plants and you know animals and things. That would be a more holistic or a more full picture analysis of that tree because you would be able to analyze the tree you would you be you would be able to analyze it in its relations to other things and you would be able to analyze it in its relations in its own environment so as natural uh, as you know pure of a state that you can find it in in its own existence now these two ways of analyzing things really stem from two different schools of thought. So you have the idealist and the materialist schools of thought. We have spoken on this in previous episodes. You can check those out. Um, I don't remember what they're called, but probably what is materialism or materialism versus idealism, probably something like that. Um, but the separation between idealism and materialism is idealism has at its core belief that all of the world exists within our mind or within this capital I idea that many philosophers refer to. And this is where we go to understand the world. This is where we analyze things in their isolated form and try to discover what it is that is truly at the core of their nature, whether that be um, uh, economics, whether that be religion, whether that be the uh, physical sciences like biology, uh, chemistry, things like that, virology, right? And then the materialist lens is to look at these things and understand that they exist outside of our mind, outside of this abstract idea with a capital I. The world exists materially. We can observe that quite easily. We can go and examine the material world as it exists, but it is not our mind which is ultimately dictating what it is we are to discover our mind is able to, over time, comprehend material reality. So, when you are talking a dialectical versus a metaphysical view, a dialectical view would, in its most, you know, correct form, understand things in their relations, in their given environment, based on the material reality, the material conditions. So that would mean rather than going to a site to, you know, analyze trees and their roots and their environment, you don't necessarily go in thinking that you are looking for an answer that you already have. Like thinking that from outside the environment you can come to a true understanding about these trees and their environment and then thinking that as you go into that environment it is your idea which ultimately is what will dictate the discoveries that you make whereas a materialist would go in 
they would go study the trees, the environment, everything like that, and they would use that information, that material reality, to come to correct conclusions. Dialectical also means that everything is interconnected, interwoven. You'll notice that earlier I said when you understand something dialectically, you understand it in its relations. So let's look at something like sociology. We can study the way in which human beings act, the way in which human beings think, the way in which human beings structure themselves in a society, the way in which they produce things. We can study all of that. We can take a given society, say the United States, and we can come to conclusions about all of those things by simply studying the United States. But if you were then to study the United States in its relation to the rest of the world, you would come to new conclusions, you would come to new and fuller understandings, you would be able to comprehend the history of the United States in a much more holistic way, in a much more full picture way, and this means that you are able to view the United States in its relation to the rest of the material world, as well as a understanding of the internal workings of the United States in their connectivity to one another. So for example, if you're studying why or how certain things are produced and distributed, but you do not study the natural composition of an environment, you do not study the religious and cultural practices of that given environment, if you do not understand all of that, if you do not understand how that society is structured, if you do not understand that, you know, there is a reason why there's a certain ruling class hierarchy, etc., then you are not getting a holistic view of the theory of something like class struggle. Because as we know, or the theory of the base and superstructure. Because as those of us who call ourselves Marxists should know, It is the economic base, the mode of production, which dictates the surrounding superstructures. But that mode of production, as a dialectical view, is also a response to the period in time that exists, the technology that exists, the kind of organization of the society that exists. They are interwoven and interconnected. So, you have here a dialectical understanding then of how human development has progressed. You have the economic base, which builds the superstructures, the political, the social, the religious, the cultural identities, uh, uh, practices, etc. Relations. And through this, Also, history develops. For example, as certain laws, certain wars maybe, as certain social and political changes happen due to the changes in an economic base, there is a heightening of consciousness. 
And this leads, ultimately, to people responding to their material reality. So you have, for example, last year, people all across the United States responded to their material reality of police violence, of uh, mass incarceration, of racism. And through that, right, by means of different measures, have affected also the material reality. When we are looking at a dialectical view of the class struggle, what we are looking at is the theory, A, of class struggle, which is the idea that history develops due to the warring, the necessary uh, contradictions between the interests of a ruling class and a working class in a given period of time will lead to historical and human development. Um, That theory of class struggle is ultimately what also leads to qualitative change in the society. So you have a time where there was primitive communalism. Then you develop into early small agriculture. And this slowly but surely develops into early slave-owning societies like the Romans and the Greeks and and those folks. (coughs) And here you see developing a ruling class. So now the ruling class is the slave owners. The big, you know, um, land-owning folks as well. And, you know, eventually... Uh, different kinds of ruling class through religions, through government structures, etc. And then you have the slaves, the working class. The interests of the slaves are going to be wholeheartedly contradictory <coughs> excuse me between or uh, they are going to be wholeheartedly contradictory <coughs> to the ruling class. So because of this, society will begin to develop certain things like uh, political and social developments, right, might be needed in order to calm the tide of the slave uprisings, to get the slaves to want to work, to get the slaves to be okay with their lack of rights within a given society. And eventually... As the the interests kind of come to the fore, the inequality between the ruling class and the working class becomes too broad to be able to appease the masses. The majority, or the working class, will eventually overthrow the ruling class. The working class, in this sense is the revolutionary class. It is the group which is capable of waging a successful revolution which will change the quality, the actual uh, the actual material reality as it exists. From your slave societies, you develop into your 
feudal societies into your early stages of different kinds of large-scale kingdoms and things of that nature. From this point, you now have a different form of ruling class. You oftentimes had situations where the motive... So, in in a feudal situation then, the mode of production, right, the way in which things are produced, is the serfs who work the land and landlords who own the land. Here you see again a very, you know... Uh, a very determinate contradiction of interests between those who cannot own land, those who do not have political power, those who are abused, those who are oppressed, being forced to have to live under the people who are oppressing them, who are not allowing them to have political power, who are buying all the land and owning all the land. Again, eventually this inequality comes to a fore. The contradiction can no longer be ignored, right? Eventually, the people get so sick and tired of being so oppressed that they will eventually do something about that. Now, there's many means by which they will try to do that. And this is why I wanted to call this talk the dialectical view of class struggle. Because when we are taught class struggle in very simplistic forms, maybe you actually took a sociology class, When you are taught the class struggle, you are not taught it in a dialectical manner. Because especially here in the United States, and I would assume in the West, uh, the whole world basically, um, it is in order to at most be able to memorize for the sake of of being able to regurgitate that information for a test or uh, speaking, etc. But it is not to fully comprehend where the theory comes from, how it built itself, how it, you know, takes different forms in different time periods, how it is uh, through the economic mode of production, the base which creates the superstructure, which ultimately leads to historical developments, No, you're taught that the class struggle is there's a ruling class and there's a working class. Their interests are always contradictory and therefore over time things will change because they need to. And although that is a 101 real quick explanation of the class struggle, it is definitely not an understanding nor a dialectical view of the class struggle. So Marx's theory of the class struggle was not some monumentous uh, um, genius which bestowed uh, upon to Marx some fantastic idea that no one else could have ever thought of. This is why materialism is important. Marxism is not the science of praising Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. It is the scientific socialism which was created by two philosophical and economic intelligent people um, or I should say two philosophers and economists and uh, sociologists who study the material world in order to comprehend it better so through those studies they study different things like for example early human developments during 
primitive communalism during slave societies, during landlord and serf societies. Uh, Frederick Engels writes a fantastic text called On the Origin of the Family, Private Property, and the State. And this is kind of a very uh, fantastic view on historical materialism. It gives a great uh, way of understanding how dialectics is used to be able to understand the class struggle, to be able to understand the economic base and how it is the, and how that, the mode of production, is the means by which society develops and not, you know, by certain political changes or social changes at the fore, but ultimately the economic superstructure being the main mode of development. So, first and foremost, they studied human development. They also studied what is called political economy. Um, I'm sure you can come to an understanding of what that studies. Um, It studies politics and economics and how they involve and influence one another. Um, They also studied uh, philosophy. Marx went to school to be a philosopher. Um, He spent a lot of time studying um, and working as well and writing and reading and working and writing and reading. So they also studied the other sciences. They studied biology. They studied chemistry. They studied archaeology of sorts. They studied uh, anatomy and things like that. They were able to spend so much time studying true material reality as we experience it that they came to certain conclusions based off of all their studies. Now again, nobody should be saying that Marx and Engels are geniuses. Nobody should, you know, really honestly be getting a a tattoo of Frederick Engels or Karl Marx. I mean, cool if you do, but like, holy shit, is that not the point of Marxism? And I know a lot of people have awful experiences with Marxists, Marxist-Leninists, who make it seem that Marx and Engels are these supreme beings without giving you context, without explaining that, no, ultimately they came to these conclusions because of their ability to do the concrete analysis of concrete conditions. Therefore, they were able to come to concrete conclusions. This is something that not everybody can do, but everybody thinks they can. Um, so kind of from this point forward, you want to just understand that sciences should never be explained in a way that makes it seem like someone just came to these understandings. Uh, science is a way in which human beings try to understand their material reality. There's different ways we do that, but all of them should, if they intend to be concrete analysis should study concrete conditions in their dialectical form, therefore in their natural state, in their relations to other things. Uh, This is how we come to correct conclusions on things. So when that is the explanation of class struggle that you get, that it's just the ruling class versus the working class, they clash over time, things change, bada bing, bada boom, right? You don't really get, then, 
the ability to analyze reality as it exists right now. We want to teach people the tools to be able to understand their, their material reality that they exist in right now. So when we teach them different things like, for example, the theory of class struggle, the theory of value, we should teach it in a way where then they can take that information and use it as a broad outline or as a kind of lens to see the world which then they can put in new data, like for example, the way in which capitalism has restructured itself in 2021, and be able to understand how that economic base is developing and how it's in, uh, impacting the superstructure. If we don't do that, then we just tell people the economic base uh, influences the, mater uh, the superstructure, and therefore, you know, that, that's that. That's not gonna give anybody the tools to be able to learn, to be able to teach, to be able to understand. And that's what we want to be doing. So when we get an understanding of class struggle, we have to understand that it will ultimately take new forms throughout history. The class struggle between serfs and landlords did not look like, nor did it take the same form of the struggle between slaves and slave owners. Now, we should also recognize then that the different form of class struggle will ultimately change too in our time period. Uh, and I, I would like to just say real quick, you know, <clears throat> a dialectical view of class struggle is ultimately the view of class struggle, the, the one and only view of class struggle, because Marx and Engels were dialecticians. This is the way that they formulated their theory. And therefore, you can't look at it in such a simplistic and, and metaphysical way um, that teaches people the way in which, you know, we're going to overthrow the bourgeoisie is by all of us who are working down at the factory, uh, joining a picket line and forming, you know, a trade union and then demanding through parliamentary, you know, kind of ways that our government treat us better, do things for us, pass certain laws, etc. Uh, you know, even Marx and Engels went ahead and changed a line in the Communist Manifesto after the Paris Commune. Uh, they did this because they discovered and understood a new part of material reality that had developed, right? So, here we see then that when we think about class struggle, I'm sure that a lot of us, when we hear terms like ruling class, working class, do think about class struggle in the sense of factory workers versus factory owners. That's the context in which we're usually taught about these things, because we're taught that Marxism, Karl Marx, Frederick Engels, the theory of class struggle, they were just some idea from a while ago, right? It just like liberalism, just like capitalism, their theories ultimately are just ideas, you know, just like uh, fucking Fordism, economism, uh, all these different obscure things like mercantilism. It's, it's all just... It's all just a well, mercantilism, not an idea. Side note, but whatever. Um, <laughs> essentially, my point is, it, it, you know, it wasn't just some historical thing. It wasn't an idea like a Charles Dickens novel. It was a theory based on material laws, material 
contradictions and material reality that you know you, you can't you can't look at something like a class struggle as just like an equal idea to any other marxism is a holistic view of the proletarian reality it is a way in which that society uh, is understood by means of an attempt to change that society. Um, Marx and Engels understood that reality is ever progressing. It never stays static. Nothing does. So how does that change happen? That's, that's class struggle. That's, so a dialectical view here is just the way in which Marx and Engels created this theory. So I just wanted to take that as an aside real quick, but then, you know, what we want to do here is be able to understand that class struggle needs to be done, needs to be organized, needs to be structured intentionally. We need to understand the class struggle. So how do we do something like that in today's day and age? Well, first and foremost, we have to come to a concrete understanding of who the working class is and who the ruling class is. To do that, we have to go to the economic base. Where are things being produced? How are they being produced? By whom are they being produced? And who are the direct appropriators, the direct owners of those products, of those commodities that are produced? This is first and foremost the way in which you come to an understanding of certain classes. You develop also that class analysis further to see which groups within society are more likely to have similar interests and therefore would be more willing to ally with the revolutionary class, which is the proletariat, uh, which different groups uh, have alternative interests and therefore we should not ally ourselves with this is a further necessity of a class analysis. From this point forward, we look at also the means by which we can wage class struggle. Uh, at one point in time, the main means was the trade unions. This was mostly white working class men in uh, Europe and early American society who fought for better rights as workers who fought for better pay as workers, who fought for better hours and better protections as workers, but they did not, however, in many ways, take that struggle to the next level. They did not connect that struggle with other struggles that were existent at the time, like the women's struggle, like slavery struggle, all of these different things, the imperial struggle, the colonial struggle, those were not the intention of the trade unions, nor have they ever been. You also have forums like parliamentary struggle. There was a time in which, you know, the working class thought that if you get enough working class people in parliament, you will be able to overthrow the government through parliamentary means, through the ways by which that government governs itself. Um, this is the way in which you can wage class struggle. As we know, um, this is not a, a truly um, isolated way to do that. 
um, it has to be connected to other things. So from this point forward, you have to understand that class struggle is something that has to take new forms in different periods of time. When we understand class struggle in a truly wholehearted way, we will be able to start devising ways in which by we, that we can organize ourselves to be able to combat uh, the ruling class and in order to start uh, gaining political power. Now, political power is not necessarily power within the field of uh, elections, within the field of government, within the field of quote-unquote politics, as in between Democrats and Republicans. Political power is a group, an organization, uh, with the means and the ability to take power over society. Your political power builds as you have more and more people who are willing to change the way in which the world is run, the way in which your society is run. That is political power. Class struggle is the main uh, form by which political power is built. Through different means of class struggle, fighting for laws, fighting to get into government, fighting to get housing rights, fighting to feed homeless people, fighting to end qualified immunity, fighting to defund uh, or uh, take community control, which would be a a much, you know, also uh, more analytical way to combat the police violence is to not only defund uh, in order to reallocate funds, but also to take a community control over the police forces in our area. Um, all All of these are means by which the class struggle can be waged. And this is for the purpose of getting the working class organized, getting them conscious and aware of the things which are causing their problems. This is what the theory of class struggle is meant to do. And it is meant to build, through this means, political power. This has been, you know, my best attempt to try to uh, just real quickly explain the theory of class struggle. Um... Because I feel a lot of us want to take, you know, the theories of 1871 at the Paris Commune, or more importantly, they want to take especially what the Soviet Union in 1917 did, uh, what the Bolsheviks and the October Revolution did, and the Soviets from that point. Um, But this is not a dialectical view of the class struggle. It is not a concrete analysis of concrete conditions. It is an attempt to replace our material reality with history and things that happened in the past. And not only is that simply impossible, but it is also incorrect for the sake that um, that's impossible. Because that A, that's not the conditions that exist, and B, they already know what the fuck you're going to do then. Because guess what? It's in the history books. And if you don't think that our government is studying these books that we're reading just as hard, if not harder than we are right now, then you do not understand what the, you know, ruling class, uh, you do not understand what the bourgeoisie, you do not understand class uh, society as it exists. Um, Because these motherfuckers are not stupid. If you think they're stupid, you don't understand that the United States is the largest empire that has ever existed. And they've been able to keep that up for 245 fucking years. They know this shit 
we have to be doing critical analysis of our material reality to come to new solutions, new organizing styles, new forms of class struggle. Otherwise, we are going to continuously fail as the working class and the left of the West does time and time again. If we actually want to end capitalism and oppression that is caused by it, we within the belly of the beast need to defeat capitalism. We need to overthrow the ruling class. We need to wage the class struggle. And we need to start building political power. Political power that can arm the people political power that can influence the people why they are being armed, why they need to be armed, who they need to be armed against. Political power is using the people and their, you know, wants and interests in order to influence political and social changes. For example, demanding that police violence stop, demanding that racism be combated, demanding that trans rights be actually implemented and protected. Uh, demanding that police go under community surveillance and uh, uh, revocation rights, which mean that when th- when laws are broken, when the community does not feel safe by that police officer, they can be revoked from their power and never again be able to become a police officer, period. The class struggle can be waged to build political power and that political power can be found in multiple different facets of our reality. But if we are truly waging a class struggle, we are using each and every single one of those opportunities, not just saying we have to vote, not just saying we have to go into the factories and build unions, not just saying that we have to fight uh, colonialism and the oppression of the land and the indigenous peoples on it. That means we cannot simply fight capitalist uh, uh, corporations. That means we cannot simply fight our politicians and fight for new laws and legislation. But it means that we have to do all of that. We have to take every single opportunity and at every point we have to be educating. We have to be raising the consciousness. We have to be building solidarity. We have to be connecting with people. We have to be asking them what they need. We have to be giving them what they need. We need to be organizing them so they can provide for themselves and not be dependent on a government or on a different group of people, but be independent, be uh, uh discipline, be able to be sovereign and self-determined. This is means by which we must be waging the class struggle. And I hate to tell you it, but we are not doing it. We are not doing it in the West. We have not been doing it since these theories came to the fore. We have been revisionists. We have been reformists and we are today. The only way in which capitalism is truly defeated is by actually using the theories of both dialectical and historical materialism to come to a true and full understanding of class struggle. We must wage that class struggle to build political power in order to change the economic base of the society and the world that we live in, which will therein develop into new means by which political, social, and economic relations exist. Because now by overthrowing the ruling class, instead of having a rule of the few over the many, we will fight for the dictatorship of the proletariat and bring up all power to the workers, all power to the people, all power to the oppressed people, because this is how the many, the many, the majority, the people, the oppressed folks become the ruling folks who are able to self-determine, who are able to be dignified in, in being able to govern themselves, because 
Who made you think that you can't govern yourself? Who made you think that you can't administrate a government? Our government, our ruling class has convinced you that they have to be there, that they have to be in charge, but they are just fucking human beings and they are leeches. They are scoundrels. They are lapdogs. They are oppressors. They are killers. They are war criminals. They are violent, violent, violent beings who are trying to take your everything, who are trying to exploit you in every way they can, physically, mentally, economically, politically, socially. They take everything and they take it away as soon as you're not paying attention. We get a reform here, two years later it's gone because we got a new politician in power. Well, guess what? That doesn't work anymore. It will never work and we cannot allow it to continue then. We have to build political power. We have to build organizations which are strong enough to overthrow the means by which society is governed and dictated today. Thank you for listening. If you are still listening, please check me out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or TikTok at In Defense of Liberation. If you have any questions, concerns, or you feel I describe things incorrectly, please reach out to me at In Defense of Liberation, no caps, no spaces, at gmail.com. Please check out my blog at For Liberation, no caps, no spaces, dot Wix site, W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com forward slash website. Uh, thank you for listening. It means a lot. Please, if you don't mind, go ahead and rate me on Apple Podcasts. That helps me get forward in the algorithm. Um, please tell your friends about my show. Please tell me what you think about the show. Please interact with me. Please tell me who you want on the show, what you want me to talk about. Just talk to me, folks. Hit me up. I know folks are listening. I see the listens. Hit me up sometime. All right, folks. Stay revolutionary. Stay safe. And we'll see you next time. Peace.